What's up, everybody? Part one here on the Chase Notes podcast coming up in just one second with John Taylor of Fangraphs.com. Go subscribe to Fangraphs.com if you've not already done so. Uh, yeah, MLB. Um, on today's episode of the podcast, uh, we talk all things MLB lockout, what's going on, why it happened, why we were at this particular point um, in the lockout, what the future looks like on that front pretty ominous uh across the board here uh Derek Jeter stepping down for the Marlins what that means uh Connor Johive <laughs> on fangraphs.com the Rockies uh young guy and whether or not he could break out in 2022 if there is a 2022 season um and then we wrap up with our Seattle Mariners season in review what to look forward to what went right last year what went wrong and uh, what they figure to look like in 2022. So all that and more with John Taylor coming up in just one second. Don't forget, folks, if you like listening to John and myself talk all things Major League Baseball, please make sure you leave this episode and uh, this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts. Uh, go visit chasethomaspodcast.com for information about this very program, access to all of my previous episodes. Uh, go check out the YouTube page, youtube.com, type in the Chase Thomas Podcast, you find it, uh, hit that subscribe button, like, thumbs up, uh, share it out, all that good stuff as we build out that uh, uh, video component. Uh, also, make sure you subscribe to the newsletter, the daily newsletter. Oh, yeah, sportsrenaissanceman.substack dot com sports renaissance man that's me and as always you can email uh, myself and john for any major league baseball questions on a future mailbag show at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas podcast the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right we're back here on a somber edition of the chase thomas podcast with fangraphs john taylor john um, I've got my, uh, I got my hat ready for this evening. I've got, uh, I've got the hat ready because it is not an Atlanta Braves edition here on the podcast. So for the good folks who are watching on YouTube, they can see it, but, uh, it's the Mississippi Braves. It is a Mississippi minor league baseball shout out, uh, here tonight on the Jason's chase Thomas podcast, because miling baseball is happening, uh, this spring, but now it, uh, it seems rather unlikely, um, I don't even, sh- I shouldn't say that. It It's just, we've already lost a couple series now. Um, we It's just the elephant in the room. There's other stuff we're going to hit on on this edition of the Major League Baseball portion of this podcast. But John, first things first, how are you feeling? Uh, 24 hours removed from, uh, from the news from a gleeful uh, Rob Manfred. Yeah, the, the thing that stands out to me is, is that Maybe the Germans have a word for it. The, the combination of feeling disappointed yet unsurprised at the same time. Mm. Uh, I've been saying from the start that I thought whatever happened, we would lose at least the first month of the season. I thought that I, I, I didn't know exactly how this was going to play out, but my feeling then was uh, pessimistic overall. Not pessimistic to the point that I thought that the season would be in any real serious jeopardy because that always felt like the the nuclear option. but pessimistic to the point that you know as we saw in 2020 for the for the COVID shortened season negotiations these are two groups the the league which is to say the owners and as represented by Rob Manfred and the players union that just do not they they just they don't work together at this point and a large if not all the blame for that can be thrown in the direction of Manfred and the owners for treating both treating the players as if they're idiots I, I think it's something that's been common in what you've read 
uh, if, if you've you know been reading the the news, particularly uh, Jeff Passan, Ken Rosenthal, and Evan Drellick, who I think are all doing the best work on this stuff. You know, it, it's a common thread when they talk to players or players union representatives, which the thing that emerges is the players, you know, the league simply doesn't act and doesn't, they don't treat us as if we're intelligent and they don't act in good faith. Everything is maximized to extract the largest possible advantage for the owners, for the league, for Rob Manfred, with seemingly no consideration for what that does to the game itself. Like this, this is the thing at the, at the end of the day, this is still uh, the product is, is still what happens on the field. What Major League Baseball is selling, what it wants its its consumers and its fans to to well to consume, is baseball as played by the players. There's there's no version of baseball that works where there simply aren't players. And I think what we're seeing now is that there's no there's not going to be a version of baseball that works anymore at this point where players feel like what has happened in the last five years and really what's happened uh, over the course of the last two collective bargaining agreements. And you can you could say they can trace it as far back as the as the creation of the of the CBT uh, back in 2003, I believe it was, uh, with by Bud Selig when he was commissioner. That the finance the finances of the game simply do not make sense anymore. Players are not taking the what they believe is their fair share, and what is in reality they are not receiving a fair share of of the of the profits and the revenues that this game generates. This is a game with 11 billion dollars in revenue. And yet players are only taking home roughly a third of that, despite the fact that if they weren't there, the revenues for this league would be flat out zero. No, no one is going to tune in to a version of Major League Baseball. I, 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 think, I love the way Jeff Passon put this in his ESPN column, where you take the next 1,200 best baseball players on the planet and put them in Major League uniforms. Nobody's going to watch that. I won't, if, if only just because of the night. I, I don't think the owners are dumb enough to reach a point where we're going to get scab players and where we're going to have uh, non-union replacements, but regardless, this this I think is the issue that makes me now more pessimistic than ever. That you know that this will go on past. You know, I think I think we can pretty much guarantee that, barring something weird, we're we're going to lose the first month of the season. I think owners, I think the league and the owners are completely comfortable sacrificing a month of the season. But what I worry about is that these financial differences and the fact that the league not just won't listen to the players on not just won't you know uh or sorry not just won't relent on these things but won't even listen the declaring certain things completely off the table such as you know reducing the the amount of service time before you reach free agency or uh it lowering the years before arbitration from three to two or you know just the way the players union had to keep moving backwards on you know how about increasing the percentage of players who can reach arbitration the size of the pre-arb bonus pool uh, in terms of the, just even stuff like the draft lottery, which I think everyone can agree has no real impact or will will likely have no real impact on competitiveness or or anti-tanking. Which also worth noting, tanking is less of a strategy now than before, but regardless, even that is somewhere they had to move backwards on. And the, these are things ultimately like, you know, when it comes to, say, raising the, the minimum for the, the, the minimum salary for the for players in their first three seasons, we're talking about stuff that ta- costs most of these teams an extra three or four or five million dollars a year, if even that. When we're talking about CBT thresholds being raised from what they but what they currently are, not just you know, not, those figures aren't just too low compared to what revenues for this league are, but also don't don't stay in line with those revenues going forward. We're talking about a tax and penalties that only a handful of teams choose to pay anyway. You know, for it, what what makes no sense to me about any of this is how you have 
small market owners and small market teams and and owners like Bob Nutting arguing for things like or, or Dick Bonford, who's been the owner representative at the great majority of these meetings, arguing for things like spending less and less. And it's like you guys are already spending so little in the first place. What what more is there to save? This it, it just boils down ultimately to how where is the line? At what point do you have enough? We're talking about a, a, a lockout at this point initiated by the owners in the league where they waited a month and a half to present their first offer, where you can argue that none of their offers up until the last 36 or so hours before their self-imposed deadline were in any way either good faith or legitimate or even reflected any kind of reality that we all you know share together. It's just that it ultimately boils down to it's just pure greed. It is greed all the way down at his heart. The players at this point are not asking. They have come off the, the great majority of the acts that would be considered real substantial changes to, the, to baseball's economic and financial system. They're, they're arguing at this point more or less for the most recent CBA with some tweaks and some additional money. That's really it. The, the, what, the deal parameters that leaked out uh, over the weekend as, as these negotiations came to a close looked a lot like the CBA we already had and that still exists and that we, the league can play under at any time if the owners so choose to end the lockout. Uh, it looked more or less exactly like that one with some tweaks and some adjustments. Like, that isn't even enough for the owners at this point. And I, you know, I, I don't know, again, before that I would have considered the owners who have always hated the union and have always never wanted a union. I kind of had figured that the way baseball's economic system worked, where there was a de facto salary cap, but without a salary floor or a revenue split, the same way that the NFL and the NHL and the NBA have with their salary caps, I kind of figured that would be enough for owners ultimately, that breaking or destroying the union was kind of pointless, that ultimately the union didn't have enough leverage and still really doesn't. The biggest negotiating ship the union has is expanded playoffs, and that's not enough to, to apparently to, to win any of these particular concessions, but that there was no real need to break the union. But it really does feel like this is that this is the end game for a lot of these owners, that ultimately they've decided that they simply have no interest in having to abide by any rules or any expectations or any any factors for any of this, that they, that they just be allowed to do exactly as they please. And if that means spending $25 million on a baseball team that loses 115 games a year, so be it. That's They don't care. And, and that's really, I think, ultimately what stands out the most here. How little the people who are in charge of these teams. And I don't care how many owners get pointed out as, oh, they're one of the good ones. They actually like winning. Who, who, who goddamn cares? If you're one of the good owners who wants to win, then tell the other owners to knock this shit off already. It's so obviously abundant how little any of them care about the actual sport. And that goes, in, that goes doubly so for the man who claims to be commissioner at this point. I don't know how you end up in a place as a commissioner where you are okay with this kind of thing happening, where you hold a press conference to this stuff, laughing about it and smiling, where there are photos coming out as in this in these last end of the night negotiations of you practicing your golf swing in, in a hotel ballroom or whatever. What is this nonsense? Is Rob Manfred the stupidest man in that entire league office? Does he not have any clue how any of this looks? Like it just boggles the mind at at this incredibly, hugely important time for Major League Baseball, a potential a potential fulcrum point for the future of the entire sport, the league is in the hands of an utter buffoon, someone who just should not be allowed to continue doing this job, 
it was just very clearly demonstrated that the interests of the sport rank way below the interests of the people who employ him. That to me is the most is the most frustrating thing. I don't expect better out of 30 billionaires or whatever the fuck they want to call themselves when it comes to being able to consider things like sharing the wealth. You should never expect that at this point. But I do expect better from the person who's in charge of the damn sport to actually do the things that make sure the sport can continue to actually happen and that it'll be good and that people want to keep watching it and that aren't under the delusion that baseball will just exist forever because it existed before. Ask horse racing how that went. Ask boxing how their, how their long years of being the, the, of this country's most popular sport ended up being. See how that ends up. Look at the NHL and all the labor strife it went through because its commissioner and league and ownership group were too stupid to understand that they, you cannot treat the people who create your product this way. It, it's just, it, it is mind-blowing to me that this is where we ended up. All of this was unnecessary. None of this had to happen. And the person in charge of everything, the person who could have stopped any of this from happening, was apparently more than happy to throw his hands up and go, hey, you guys are in charge. I don't give a shit. He clearly doesn't care. The hunk of metal stuff, the laughing at this press conference, it's so clear that Rob Manfred does not care about this sport. And I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I struggle to feel optimistic about where this is going to go, in large part because I do think we're now at a point where we're just going to lose April because, in large part, these are April games obviously are games that for the most of the country, they, they're either low attendance because of the weather or they get canceled because of the weather anyway. And most TV, most team TV contracts uh, don't require the team to start paying money back on that contract un, up until about a certain, sorry, up until a threshold of games canceled is reached, and that's usually somewhere in the twenties or the thirties. So most of these teams will probably be happy to sit and just cancel a month's worth of games. But I don't think they understand that this particular union is not simply going to let that happen. That this is a point that they can't ignore either. That if they fold here, that they pretty much are broken. And I think that more than anything guarantees that this is going to be, or at the very least raises the, the possibility significantly that this is going to be a very long and very bad lockout. I, uh, I said before, I remember us talking where I was like, I, my gut tells me that there's a lockout coming. I don't know if you remember this, but I was like, my gut is like, this is going to be a long one. Um, and it goes back to like the 2020, um, snafu and just everything that was going on, uh, which is crazy that we're almost two summers from that now. But um, the other thing too, that stood out to me was just that like once I think MLB owners saw what they brought in from just TV deals and the gate and what playoff revenue looked like for the sport, they were like, we're going to get as many teams in the playoffs. We want half of this league in the playoffs and we do not care how many regular season games we lose because we will make all of that up. Half of the league is going to make that up come the fall. Like that is something once they learn yeah, that's, that's that a good point. once they figure that out, I was like, Oh, it's over players lost. Like it's over because now that the players are up against ownership groups, again, this is the other thing It's like, we talked about this, I think in the podcast last week is just that like, this is not the Ted Turner Steinbrenner ownership groups anymore. This is a lot of um, just capital groups that look at these teams as portfolios. And when they look at, when you have a, a league where a third of the league is not trying and you just have these kinds of organizational ownership groups, they can handle all this. Cause it's all like shadowy figures. It's all people that, 
um, are you would never recognize out in the street. And it's all kinds of people that can can take the heat because they don't care. They know that eventually they're going to win. It's just how much do they win by? And they for this reason that now they want to win by a lot. Like they really, like you said, want to really, really want to lay it to the players, which you and I, we do not agree whatsoever. And I just, like you said, if they roll over now, it's over for a long time. And yeah, I, I don't think they can afford to, at this point. Like I, I, I don't, but I, I certainly don't want a lost season by any stretch. Mm. I want to watch baseball this year. I think every baseball fan wants baseball this year. But I, I don't, don't think want... the owners want a lost season. I just think they're okay no, with like no, because they're starting because in they're, September. They, they don't care. Sure, they they want. If anything, they want. I I would be genuinely curious to see how many of them came out of 2020, looked at their numbers, and went. Actually, that wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. That if they could if they could cement numbers in a certain way in a certain direction, that really who cares if you lose games? The players can strike for three months. Who cares? Like you said, the playoff revenue, and I I do find it very telling and very funny that MLB sold the rights to those playoff games despite the fact that they do not exist <laughs> yet. Like they already have a contract with ESPN that if there is a fourteen team playoff and, and ESPN is already contracted to broadcast the first round of those games. I guess the wild card round it would be. Uh, that's a hundred million dollars in revenue for the league that gets split among all the teams, even the teams that don't go to the postseason. You know, and granted that you know, fine, that's three million dollars a team, but still, that's free money. That is free money that they get with no strings attached, unless there is just no season. And I, so I do think there there is that danger point. I mean, we're already. I mean, we're, well, we're we're wily coyote. We've run off the cliff, but we just haven't noticed yet. But there's we are going to reach that point in the distance where this is going to start hurting the owners financially too. But I, I think, I think you're right. You made a good point that they can wear this. They can weather this a lot more easily than the players can. And in part, like you said, because baseball teams for a lot of these people are just one of many investments that they have or the base or the investments they've made with the baseball team, you know, yeah, they're going to lose out on gate revenue. They're going to lose out on X, Y, or Z, but, if the league does stay strong and they've already said, you know, we are not going to, you know, canceled games are canceled. They will not be made up, which means players will not be paid for those days or for those games rather. And on the other side, you have the union saying there is no way we agree to any kind of, any kind of deal that does not include pay for missed games. If we do miss games, but I think you're already seeing that, that, that groundwork being made for the owners of, well, we're not going to be, we're actually not going to have much in the way of expenses. We're just, we don't have to pay these guys so we can do this indefinitely. Really? I mean, again, it's going to get tricky if enough of the season is lost that we start talking about uh, money from TV contracts having to be repaid. And certainly there's only so long you can really like it is a big loss to have a stadium that is generating no money. You know, that that's not something that the owners necessarily want in the long term. But I do think that you're right that they can since they can weather this for longer, I think they're more willing to take that short term hit because, again, I do think 2020 showed them that it's not the end of the world. It's not great, but if we can get any amount of season enough to justify a postseason, it'll all be okay in the end. So, yeah, I, I, this is the other side that the, the other side of things that just makes me worry so much about how long this is going to take. Is that both of these sides have very, very they have goals that are simply not going to be accomplished in concert. You know, they're they're oppositional in a lot of these ways. Like I, like I just said, the players say that they won't take any deal where they don't get paid for games canceled. 
the owners presumably will not agree to any deal where they have to pay for players to pay for games that didn't happen. How do you solve that? Again, like the, the players have the leverage of the expanded playoffs. And I guess the international draft is another chip maybe that they, you know, because they have a lot of stuff that they can basically say, no, we won't allow it. But truly the expanded playoffs is the only real big piece of leverage they have beyond their, beyond their own services, beyond simply going on strike. So I don't know where this goes. I mean, I, I, the other part of it too is if this does go on long enough and we do reach the point where the federal government gets involved, which boy, is not going to be fun. We all have to just start talking about labor law and this thing nonstop. I don't think the league wants things to go there either because that's where things went in 94 and 95 and the league got its ass handed to it more or less. Rob Manfred is many things. He's not dumb enough to go down that route. But on the other hand, I also thought none of us, or I also not none of us, I also thought none of them collectively, either the owners, the league, Manfred, I thought none of them were dumb enough to let things get to this point. But hey, here we are. What do you think of his golf swing? He was practicing this week. Did I'm, you... not, I'm not a golf guy, so I, I wouldn't even really know where to begin. I know someone mm-hmm. saying it looked like he was practicing his wedge game, which I mm-hmm. that's like short that's like short game stuff, right? Like uh, chipping a, out of a bunker or something. It's a little bit, a little bit. It's okay. kind of a literal, literal name, wedge. Um, okay. Trying to get out. Yeah, it has that kind of. You got to get out of a, a rough spot. Um, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't care like that. I just. I, with the expanded playoff where I'm at, it's like, I don't want it, but these kind of things, when you see it um, and when you see it get out, you're like, Oh, this is happening. It's just like, when is this going to happen? Once the cat's out of the bag and once the owners make it clear that that's something that they very much want. It's like, Hey players, like try and win in other ways. Cause you're losing that one. Eventually. Like once yeah, they set I, their I, sides on 14, a, it's a, it's inevitability. A, yeah, it's inevitability. I mean, I, Personally, I don't care. Expanded playoffs, whatever, fine. Who gives a crap at this point? Like, especially if it increases more teams trying. Like, that might be I, the I think, literal no, only there's, way. There's a possible like horseshoe idea here that like the opposite of oh, too many teams getting in means no one will try. Is yeah, but on the other hand, if you can incentivize it for those teams who are going to who are projected to be in that kind of high seventies, low eighties territory to to make what essentially have to be either short short term additions via either free agency or calling up and playing their impact prospects mm. to, to get into that low, into that more mid eighties win total to actually fight for a playoff spot. Plus on top of that, you've just, uh, and it obviously depends exactly how we would, how the league would organize a 12 or 14 team postseason. but you would really end up incentivizing winning the division. And so for those divisions like the NL East or the AL West or the, the AL East in particular, where there are a good amount of teams all clustered in that same kind of like, a potentially division winning group. Now you've made the offseason that much more important for them. You know, if you're a Ray, if you're the Rays or the Red Sox or the Phillies, you can't really just sleep through the offseason. If the, if the difference between the division and the wild card is say, a, you know, a, a buy or ghost win as they do in, in KBO, I believe, or in, or basically I guess forcing the other team to do a gentleman's sweep or having to be the team that has to do the gentleman's sweep. Uh, in order or to has to avoid the gentleman sweep in order to advance. Like, and this is the other thing. Wouldn't we much rather be talking about this than about all the stupid money nonsense? Like, this is the thing. Like, no one, <sighs> eventually, with all of this stuff, we will come around to it. Nothing, I truly don't think anything that has been introduced or added to the game, at least on the field, in the in, during Rob Manfred's tenure as commissioner, have been like actively bad for the game. The runner on second thing in extras is probably the worst, but if that's the worst in terms of on-field changes that we've endured because of rules stuff, 
fine, whatever. Like, again, we, we will adapt and we will figure it out and it will change the game in ways that might, that, like I said, will, might be unintended, but genuinely interesting. The money stuff is just, how do you, how do you figure this stuff? Like all that stuff is like, yeah, you can, you can exchange ideas and you can have players in the league debate it. How do you debate a group of people who simply don't want to spend money and who don't care? How do you fix that? That's, that, that's where I end up. It's like all that other stuff too, is just window dressing because at a certain point, if the people who control and own the teams do not want to take part in this, there's no force on earth that can make them do it. They have all the power and all the leverage in that regard as a fully legal monopoly. Unless the players can somehow convince Congress to, or, you know, whichever legislative body or governing body or whoever would need to be involved to, you know, to strip MLB of that status. I really don't think we're in any place where the owners have to do anything. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get a uh, resolution here anytime soon, John. I think uh, now they're going to take a step back and it's going to be a bit. I, I don't know. I, I'm pretty uh, pessimistic about when we lose games. I think we're going to lose a lot more than just a couple series would be my my guess. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I said a month initially. I I think three to four now. Yeah, I think I'm starting to think that our best case scenario might be like we just play the second half. Yeah. And then we just uh, get another like shortened COVID twenty twenty small season. I could see that. I could see that. Um, well, John, we didn't do our national pastime um, to start off this episode because it, it's funny because in, in in years in years going forward, the national pastime for uh, Sunday or Monday or sorry for Tuesday. I don't know what day mm-hmm. anymore will be MLB cancels opening day for the first time since nineteen ninety four. Yeah. That's true. So that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. We'll revisit it. I'll jot it down. We'll revisit this March second, twenty twenty three. Yeah, and that's just mm-hmm. like one last thing with Manfred. Like you would mm-hmm. think that there would be some inherent shame in being the commissioner who oversees the first labor stoppage in the game in almost thirty years. Where is that? Like, why does this man not seem to have any shame? Or, or he he went, he goes up to that for that. Uh, I mean, as long conference. as the checks are cashing, I think he is he's good. But that's the thing, like, even at that press conference, even at what is supposed to be the lowest moment of his entire commissionership, he's still out there slinging lies about how it's not particularly, like, uh, profitable to own a baseball team. It's like, you've got to be kidding me, man. Like, you've got to be kidding me. You don't have the interest of this sport anywhere near the top of your list. When he says the consider, like, the, 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 you know, our fans are at the top of our list of considerations or whatever weird, vaguely HR, like, representative speak he, he uses in these moments, like, no, you're just lying. This to me is like, I, this is, I guess, relatively minor at this stage of things. I understand the commissioner needs to be a, like accountable to the press, but dear God, MLB does not do itself any favors by letting him talk. He's so bad at the front-facing part of this job. He is so unbelievably bad at it. Like, I I, I understand there's, there's only, like you said, he's, you know, it, as long as the check's cash, he'll do what it takes to get them. And like, that doesn't, make him really any different from from Selig ultimately. Selig just put a better face on it. But which kind of funny to think Bud Selig putting a better face on anything. But <laughs> man, like it, it just it's just funny to see this is what Selig would have been like if Selig had just no ability to spin anything. Manfred is truly bad at this and oh boy, that that that's that make that makes me equally or more so pessimistic because there's not a a an A Bartlett Giamatti figure here urging the owners to do what is best for the game and for the fans and for, and for the 
for the country or whatever silly West Wing style jargon comes out. This is a commissioner who's just fine to sit back and be like, yeah, you guys do what you want. I'll keep spinning bullshit to the press. Uh, yeah, and I'll keep yelling at the players about how they should be grateful that we don't kill them or whatever. I don't know. It's he. This is like, it, it just he's the worst possible person to be in charge of the league right now, basically. Yeah, and I don't think uh, that's stopping anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, John, national pastime today. Uh, today in 1927, actually, Babe Ruth becomes the highest paid player in Major League Baseball history when the Yankees announced the Bambina will earn, get this, $70,000 per Ooh. season for the next three years. The Sultan of Swat, who had asked for 100000 big ask, Mr. Ruth, uh, meets with Colonel Jacob Rupert at the owner's brewery in the Yorkville section of Manhattan to finalize the historic deal. If you had told me that Babe Ruth signed his biggest contract uh, at the time with at a brewery, I would have, and that was like a Jeopardy, or like there's a way to phrase that for a Jeopardy question, I would have been able to hit that one, I think. That sounds yeah, that's a, just about it was right. Either, it was either going to be a brewery, a bar, or a whorehouse. I was going to say brothel, just do the yeah. three Bs. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, good. Brewery, bar, or brothel. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they're just like, I'm sure that the, if they still have a copy of that contract somewhere, it's just covered in ketchup stains. <laughs> I'm just, I just like thinking of Babe Ruth just constantly, like every, everywhere he goes, there's always a hot dog in one of his hands. Oh, man. Hey, well, you know how I feel about hot dogs. And uh, speaking of hot dogs, um, I have. uh, So this is going up uh, after uh, tonight because I need the sport tournament someone to help me continue decorating behind me over there. Uh, But I got a Matlock uh, poster that's going up frame photo. That's the lawyer Matlock. Oh, yeah. The lawyer Matlock. Atlanta's like the TV show Matlock. Yeah, it's one of my favorite of all time. I watch it a lot. It's it's one of my all time secretly like. 95 i didn't know anyone on i didn't know anyone alive still watched matlock that was like that, that was something that old people were into like 30 years ago it's like werther's originals it's one of my favorite shows i'm not kidding like i love matlock and that character love matlock i, I watched so are, it so are you much like a big up. columbo fan too no very loyal to matlock i don't, okay. I don't I, uh, is that like a mm-hmm. thing is like matlock and columbo like the bloods and crypts of the <laughs> of the retirement center or something <laughs> i don't know i don't think you can do it but i just I, it's a delight i love spending time with ben matlock so shout out to my favorite attorney from the from the 80s in atlanta i don't know it's one of my favorites love love me some matlock um so that'll be up on the next show uh tomorrow but john taylor some other big news happened in major league baseball this week uh Derek jeter surprised a lot of folks by stepping down as ceo of the marlins um didn't make it a uh, half a decade uh what was it four years in total it looks like um, yeah it seems like it he was someone that like it turned it because everything is about money now in baseball it seems like because of a certain amount of money that was promised to him was not happening he was like all right well i guess i'm out of here um when that became clear he wasn't getting that money um it's based on the reporting based on what i've read but yeah i don't know what this means for uh the marlins going forward with bruce sampson but uh i don't know it's not like if you're a marlins fan you're like well okay jeter wasn't great like there was nothing about jeter's time in miami that uh outside of his amazing interview with Bryant Gumble, which I highly encourage folks to go back and watch if they had forgotten that from years ago. That was a delight. But 
I don't know. It's uh, they're moving in the right direction now. A lot of we've talked about it. They have a lot of young pitching talent. They played really well this past year. They have some fun guys, Chess Chisholm being one of them. But man, it's been a pretty awful rebuild. They've uh, done some really uh, just uh, we're gonna we're gonna strip this thing down to the bare bones, make some profits, and then we promise we'll eventually figure it out. They're one of those teams, but especially being in a big market and being in Miami and all that, but. I don't know. What did, uh, What do you think about Derek Jeter no longer being the CEO and involved with the Marlins? Is this a reason for concern or is this a reason uh, for optimism in Miami, John? Yeah, hey, there we go. Yeah. What do you, is there, uh, is there, is this a reason for optimism or concern? in uh, Miami with the departure of Derek Jeter, John? I, you know, it's hard to tell because, like you said, it's not entirely clear why it is he left. On the one hand, it seems like it can be either, you know, it either has something to do with the share of the team he was promised uh, when they bought the team together with uh, with, with Bruce Sampson, or with Bruce, um, not Sampson, but um, what's his last name? Uh, Sherman. Isn't it Bruce, Bruce Sampson? Oh, Bruce Sherman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're, th- you're thinking just... of David Sampson, the former. That's right, the Miami former... guy. Just combine the two. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I, I either it was he was promised a bigger share of the team after he bought in from Bruce Sherman, and that and that didn't come to pass, and he decided screw it, I'm out. Or and I think this is probably part of it too. Uh, that he seems to have thought that there would be more of a push on the part of the team or on the part of ownership to spend now that the the first kind of wave of that farm system has started coming up, and now that he you know he has gotten these good young players like like Sandy Alcantara who who got a an extension too, and uh, and Sixto Sanchez and you know the, the the rest of the players coming up through that system, and it seems like the team is inclined is more inclined to be you know the Marlins and and not spend that money which would be you know, kind of funny to kind of have that in the light of all the CBA stuff that's been ongoing. But regardless, I, it's hard to say if only because we don't really know exactly how much of an impact Jeter had. Obviously, the biggest one is that the, the director of player development there, Gary Denbo, is a, former G, is a G guy Jeter brought in who was doing that work in New York. Uh, the two of them obviously are close. Who knows if Denbo, <clears throat> excuse me, who knows if Denbo will continue there Post Jeter, uh, you know, if he goes, you know, will his lieutenants go with him? Like, you know, how is this going to impact player development for Miami going forward? And that's obviously a huge deal for them because, you know, I think, you know, by their nature of being a, a team that does not spend a whole lot, they are really reliant on that farm system to produce uh, important players to them. And, you know, so last year again with Alcantara and Jazz Chisholm and, and Sa- Sixto Sanchez the year before. Uh, the other part of it is I think this team, you know, I think he overall did a pretty good job, at least with regards to, I mean, the farm system improved, uh, you know, the, the Christian Yelich trade obviously looks like a loser in retrospect. The Marcelo Zuna trade looks pretty good that giving the landed Alcantara, the Giancarlo Stanton trade very clearly was a, a salary dumb first, you know, first and foremost. So it's hard to evaluate it on those terms, if only because that decision seemed to be made from the second Jeter and Sherman took over the team. I, it just becomes a question of does is Jeter's departure or whether or not that it's a good or, or good bad good or bad news for the Marlins or at least you know how bad it can be depends on whether or not his departure had to do with how com- how much the team is willing to spend in order to be competitive because you know and we haven't gotten to the Marlins yet but I think when we do we're going to find a roster that I think both of us like in a lot of places and that certainly has upside but that isn't really there yet that I don't think is really going to be challenging for the division this year you know, maybe going forward in the future. 
but that certainly is a team that, you know, if you were to drop a little more money now, and as you know, they did at this offseason already with Avisael Garcia, you know, that there's room to be better. And so I guess if Jeter is leaving because the appetite is not there to spend more money, then I think it's bad news for the Marlins because that indicates that this team is probably not going to be that different than the Jeffrey Loria days. I mean, maybe less, you know, obviously Bruce Sherman doesn't seem like as much of an absolute putz as Loria is. But I mean, part of it, too, you should remember when when Sherman and Jeter bought this team is I believe they had the smaller of the two offers that ultimately that Loria was considering the other from Jorge Mas, the Univision owner and billionaire. And that a lot of that Sherman offer was predicated on being able to attract investors after the fact and, and kind of add folks, to, you know, add more money to it and also taking on a fair amount of debt. So we might be heading for a situation where, you know, not only is this team losing what seems to be the most consistent and loudest voice within the organization, uh, notwithstanding, uh, obviously, Kim Ang and, and, and the rest of the, the front office also. Like points to Jeter there too, who did seem to be a very uh, big advocate for hiring Yang and, and, and putting her in a front office finally. Or sorry, not in a front office, in the general manager's role finally. Uh, yeah, it, it seems like losing... her job's safe, right? Like she wasn't yeah, strictly would, a Jeter so. person. I, w- mm. I would guess it doesn't seem like that's something where uh, Denbo is the only one I think where I wouldn't be surprised if he also left, if only because his ties to Jeter are that strong. But regardless, it, it, it can't be good to lose a guy who. For all the many things I dislike about Derek Jeter, I will never, you know, I will, I can never take away the fact that he is a deeply hyper competitive person. And mm. it's probably, to me, it just doesn't feel like it's a good sign if he's already willing to walk away from this, because that suggests that whatever path or mindset, or sorry, not mindset, whatever path he had in mind for this Marlins team does not seem to be the one that they are following anymore. I think it's just money. I think this dude. I I think we'll we'll see Jeter pop up in another ownership group. I don't know. That's who a it possibility is. too. I mean, he didn't put in a whole lot of money yes. into this ownership group. I believe it was only five million dollars. Yeah. So I he think had a he's very in a small stake. He is kind of wired like the Michael Jordans of the world, where I think he wants to be uh, a main owner somewhere. Um, and maybe he, and maybe that was part of it too. Maybe he wanted to be calling more shots in Miami yes. than than people felt comfortable with. But I mean, that's certainly a possibility, especially as, you know, as we noted, like he, he did not have a very big share of that team. And like the CEO title was more or less just to get him to be the public face of it. And, and I think that's what he realized based on like everything we read. That's seeming like what he realized is like there's no it's like he, he reached the the highest point he could get to and was like, all right, if I'm not yeah, getting and more that's, money that's and I'm not. Get, yeah, um, I, John, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. just to close that out. I wouldn't be surprised if depending what happens with the Rays and Mm -hmm. either whether they go or whether that ownership group continues or whatever, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he takes Mm -hmm. a look at them now because him and Brady. Yeah. I mean, Tampa is also, I mean, he's had, I believe he had an enormous house there or near there. Obviously it's, he rented it to Brady. Yeah. And so I, maybe, I mean, maybe that's his next step, but yeah, yeah, I, I would not be surprised to see him get involved in another ownership group down the line. Man, the Rays would be interesting. Um, John, let's hit on this interesting article because I think folks are going to be surprised, but I, I think what we deserve a lot of credit for, John, outside of being one of the best Major League Baseball podcasts on the internet, is that we make sure at to shine a light. 25, at, least. at least top 25. And we shine a bright light on both the Baltimore Orioles and the Colorado Rockies when nobody else has the bravery to do it. Do you know what we do? We're like, I don't care about the the numbers. I don't care about what people want. You know what people need to want? 
is some Baltimore Orioles and Colorado Rockies in their life. That's what they yeah, need. They, they, need to they get don't the- know how badly they need Antonio Sensatella discussion in their lives. Exactly. <laughs> Connor Joe is now on the list. So there was a really good piece that folks should go check out by Luke Hooper at Fangraphs.com and go subscribe to Fangraphs.com if you've not already done so. But this is something I thought was super interesting. The article is entitled Connor Joe is ready to break out. Um, John, is this something to get excited about? Is Connor Joe a sleeping giant in Colorado? I mean, probably not, but <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's funny because this is someone who his minor league numbers have been good for a while. So I think there've been people, you know, who've seen him with different organizations, Dodgers and the giants and the reds and thought, Hey, maybe there's something here. This guy seems like he knows what he's doing at some level. Like a high walk rate is always a good, is always a good sign that the guy knows at least something about what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and definitely, like you said, Luke's piece is good in that, you know, it, and what I especially like about pieces like that is to draw your attention to a guy like Connor Joe, who's like, I, I said, you know, is he a sleeping giant? No, because this isn't a dude who I, I you know, is going to turn into anyone kind of like MVP contender. This is not, this is not someone whose name you're probably going to hear more than a handful of times that even if that, you know, over the course of whatever season we end up getting, unless you're a Rockies fan, in which case you're probably going to see him a fair amount because weirdly enough, he projects as like the best offensive player on that team right now which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing for the Rockies, but it doesn't really feel like a great thing. But it's just nice like to get reminded about these guys who it's like, if that, if Connor Joe were on a bigger team, if he were just a utility guy on, say, the Yankees, we'd probably know a lot more. He, we'd probably hear his name a lot more. We'd probably like him a lot more. We'd probably think a lot more highly of him. But, you know, mm-hmm. there's a thing you end up on a team like the Rockies and you just get kind of forgotten. So it's just nice to have those guys highlighted and celebrated every now and then that they're actually doing something, you know, they're, they're good players. We just don't really know about or see really ever. The problem is that, you know, there's only so much one single good player can do on a team as mismanaged as like Colorado is. And so what becomes important about Connor Joe isn't so much, oh, is he good? But, oh, is he essentially, is he reliable? Is he someone who's actually going to be able to contribute if this team actually ever does get shit together? But I think that's the frustrating thing about a team like Colorado is that all those good performances just end up being these individual blips in the in a kind of longer, greater, meaningless strip. That, that sounds very bleak, but I, that's also kind of Colorado baseball at this point. It's just kind of bleak out out there. Go Rockies! Yeah, um, go Rockies! I'm I'm sorry, Rockies fans are are, are genuinely like nice people. It, it just it makes me sad. Like every time, like. Anytime you tweet something about the Rockies, it is just noting the, the fact that they're just completely incompetent. You always get replies from Rockies fans being like, yep, we completely are. They're, I, I feel so bad by how beaten down that franchise has left them at this point. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know, There's the well, a new Padres in that regard. Hmm. I don't know. The Pirates are there, the Orioles. I, I don't know. The, the, well, the, Pirates, the, the Pirates at least, though, the Pirates and the Orioles... Granted, it, it's a ways it's a ways back now for both. Even even the most recent success is still a ways back for them. But they've had success. They've won World Series. You know, they've had great players in their history. Like th- that that those are embarrassing franchises right now, and the Pirates have been for the greater part of the last thirty years. But they're still franchises that counted and meant something once upon a time. The Rockies don't have that. They have two World Series runs, both of which are just kind of happened. Or mm-hmm. do they have? There was the wait up. There was a 2017 and isn't that it? Have the Rockies been? Sorry, they have they have just the one pennant. Yeah, they just have the one pennant. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So they just have the one pennant. Mm-hmm. Like 
they haven't been able to keep their stars like, you know, Nolan Arenado, Troy Tulowitzki, Trevor Story, all these guys just, you know, not been able to make any real impact there. Like the, the ownership group is both cheap and stupid. Like the, the front office is just seems hopeless. You know, they, they don't develop players particularly well. They, they, you know, the, where they literally, where they play baseball makes it impossible to have good pitching consistently. Somehow they don't have a good offense because of that as well. Like, it is a really deeply dire situation in Colorado sometimes. So I think more than anything, having guys like Connor Joe, where you can just be like, you know, things may suck around here, but we got this dude. He's cool. He's pretty good. He's better than you think. That's worth something, I think. Because what else do you really have to, to hold on to? Boy, this really is a just a barn <laughs> burner of a fun, happy, not at all depressing. Oh, boy. We knew it was going to happen, John, coming into this pod. In Major League Baseball, uh, it's your fault. We're not taking responsibility for the doom and gloom on this podcast. No, um, it's the owners. It's, I blame them. Yeah. Well, we'll end on this. Uh, speaking of doom and gloom, the Seattle Mariners and their playoff drought. Um, I, I, before we go further, I would like to say how funny it is that even if there were a 14-team playoff last year, I don't think the Mariners would have qualified. <sighs> Mariners wouldn't have, but the Phillies would have. I, I don't care. Yeah. I Honestly, I want there to be an expanded playoff so big that it's impossible for the Mariners not to qualify just to see how they manage not to qualify. Oh, does Meg listen to this pod? Did, I, I, you... I don't know. I mean, I, Meg, Meg knows how I feel about the futility okay. of the Seattle Mariners. So I was going to say, this is a bold move. But Fangraphs is just like basically Seattle Mariners fan side Jace. Like it, it's just a, a mega version of the USS Mariner from back in the we're day. A, we're a Pacific Northwest friendly staff. Sure. You are. Um, John, the Seattle Mariners, though, there was or like we make jokes about the Mariners and their playoff drought and all that. But there, I think, were a lot more reasons for optimism. Like we've talked about the Angels. We've talked about the A's, the Rangers now. But the Mariners, a lot of stuff went right. And yes, they did not like the playoffs, but they weren't bad. They weren't depressing. They had some bright spots. Um, I was pretty surprised at what they were able to do. JP Crawford's fun, man. He's he's not he's not a superstar, but he's fun. Uh, Seeker retiring, not great, but you might have something with Kyle Lewis if he can stay healthy. There are some guys. Um, I don't know. Like I, it's they're not a super team. They're not going to be competing for, uh, competing for the World Series this upcoming year, but. You know, you have some top of the line players coming up very soon. What uh, what went right for the Mariners in twenty twenty one, and what uh, what went wrong, John? It's yeah. As I say, what went right is the. It's not about the run differential, baby. It's about the fun differential. Did yes. you learn that with the Mariners? The yeah, I mean they, they grossly <laughs> over they grossly overperformed their expected numbers, which I mean you can try to figure it. You can try to drill down and figure it out, and there are probably sixteen different particular factors you can point to as like, Oh, they did this instead of that. And ultimately, you know, ultimately it doesn't matter so much as that was the result. And the major takeaway is that was the result, but you probably can't expect it again. However, that doesn't mean this team is bad. I look at this roster now and I see a team somewhere in that uh, mid to some of that low to mid eighties win total. I think I love the Robbie Ray signing. I think that was a really, really big get. I think that was exactly what Seattle needed more than anything else off the free agent market was a number one starter. They have not had that since the best days of Felix Hernandez. 
I feel really good about where that rotation sits. I think they might, you know, maybe you need one more arm there at some level or another. Ideally, maybe it's, I know we, we mentioned him, but that's because in, in large part, he's the best pitcher available. The non-Clayton Kershaw division would be a Carlos Rodon guy type or Carlos Rodon or someone kind of similar to him. But they've got a lot of really good young pitching depth. Obviously, they have uh, uh, George Kirby, what they're, arguably their top pitching prospects still to come. Obviously, the big thing, too, is a lot of really just – it's a solid team when it comes to depth. There are a lot of guys you can pretty easily project to be about a two about two wins. At, and also, it's a, it's a flexible team. You have Adam Frazier as their second baseman, but he can play other, elsewhere. You have Abraham Toro at third base. He can play elsewhere. You have – well, Crawford's not so much flexible. Or you have Ty France who's playing first base, but he can play a, a variety of positions. You know, you have, as you mentioned, Crawford as a kind of anchor for all this is a fantastic defensive shortstop, if nothing else. You know, Mitch Hanniger is kind of your ideal middle of the order guy. Kyle Lewis is, it looks like a good power bat. And of, of course, on top of that, you've got one Jared Kalenic, who was a global top five prospect uh, going into 2021, certainly struggled last year uh, in ways that, you know, you, it do, does worry a little bit, but at the same time, there's a ton, a ton, a ton of upside there and, and, and potential. And behind that, you have a global top five prospect now in Julio Rodriguez, who will be in double A this year. And I think, you know, depending obviously on on what season we get, is someone who could make who has a real chance to make a late end of season impact, similar with with George Kirby and maybe Emerson Hancock, but that's probably a stretch. So there are a lot of things to like about this Mariners team. What I think they're missing right now is just there I think they need one or two more pieces if they really want to be serious about contending for the AL West. I think right, and I think right now this is the best chance that they're probably definitely this is the best chance they've had in a while. The Rangers are not ready yet, barring uh, another unless they make some big moves. Whenever we as we come out of this lockout, the A's very clearly are not going to be making any big moves from this point forward, and I don't think they're going to collapse. But I also have a really hard time seeing that team getting above five hundred. And the Angels, as we noted, like you know their tops, their stars need to stay healthy. They don't really have the kind of depth and overall kind of roster strength that this Mariners team does. Certainly they don't have, I mean, you could, you can certainly argue that Otani is, is by all, you know, is as capable is certainly as capable of being as good as Robbie Ray. But I think you definitely, you know, Robbie Ray is the better pitcher right now, you know, but there are still some things that would need to be addressed here. The one big thing is, and, and the, a lot of this depends, you know, on, on who they like more or whatever the situation is. Well, you would feel a lot better about this team if it had a Chris Bryant or or a Freddie Freeman on it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. Chris Bryant would be fun on this team. Chris Bryant, I think, would make so much sense. Number one, yeah. he's a regular starting third baseman, which frees up Toro to be a utility guy, which is really number one what he should be. Two, he can give you some of that corner outfield play as well, so you're not reliant on starting either, either not reliant on having to start Jake Fraley and left and play him all the time, or you don't have to rush Rodriguez if you're really not getting production out of that spot. And he's a good, just solid right-handed power bat, which is just always a useful thing to have, who is flexible, who is, you know, he's a good base runner. He's a good defender where he plays. Freeman obviously is a lot more of just a kind of, you know, concrete. He's just your first baseman, but boy, does he up the ceiling for this team. He is, he is probably a three win upgrade at first base alone. He, he more than anything would get me on the, on the side of, not just the Mariners as being a, a genuine AL West contender, but maybe something more if it all works out. And granted, it's not just Freeman alone, but I think Freeman add a pitcher and figure out a way to get an extra reliever. This is another team too that I think if the White Sox really do want to dump Craig Kimbrell, would be all over theoretically could be all over getting a Craig Kimbrell type guy. 
because the truth is there's just not much left in the way of, of really great relief options on the market anymore. Most of those guys got snapped up along with the starters. But I definitely think this is a roster that's in a really good position to contend now and definitely in a good position to be a serious contender with a, just a handful more just big moves like that. Man, I hadn't even considered uh, Kimbrell as an option for them, but I could see it. Um, do you think we see Rodriguez this year? I do. I, okay. I don't think, if only because one, they're... Well, also I mean, with the caveat, the caveat being full set. Like, what, it's so yeah, hard what, to now forecast this. Yeah, yeah. Assuming that we get enough of a season and that there are no longer, that there's some kind of service time, whatever worked out, I do think we do see him if only because the Mariners don't really have the existing corner outfield options basically to keep him down. You know what I mean? Like there's no reason if he's hitting well, there's no reason not to play him because this team is in that really important space where every, every additional win you know, is that much more important, you know, the, 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 like, it's like the idea of like a marginal win rate, like every win above like 82 is that much more valuable, to, you know, regardless of whether we get a 12 team or a 14 team postseason, because even if we do, you still want to improve your seating for that kind of thing. Because I assume, you know, if we do get a postseason that large, there will be some seating element to it. So they're in that space where every win counts. And who knows, maybe if the Astros have a down year suddenly, all of a sudden you're in you're in real contention for the AL West and I think Rodriguez is probably as close to an like of the of the top prospects in the game I think he's probably the one who has the potential to make the greatest impact right away for an actual contending team you know d- depending on you know who who is in your top 100 and and who you like but if you consider that Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez are two of them nothing that they do this year is going to make any difference on what on what happens with Baltimore short term you know that team is just that team is going to be the last place and they know it you know so beyond them and say uh i mean I've, it's it's funny we have the top 100 of fan crafts but i can't remember our top five but rodriguez is a genuine top five prospect on a team that could really use him so i, I think yes there's uh, assuming things are you know assuming the cba makes sense ultimately and that we do get a season i, I think they do play him at some point well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited uh, to see what ultimately happens here. What do you What do you think they do though? Jerry Depoto loves mini deals. John, we'll we'll end on the Mariners with this. Um, he loves the minor ones. He doesn't really go for the big fish. He's not a Chris Bryant kind of guy. Um, Craig Kimbrell, I wouldn't roll out for him. Something like that. I, but... I mean, I think Seattle's bullpen strategy has always seemingly been we're just going to cycle through guys like Tampa Bay Rays style, but they're just not yeah. as successful with it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean. Well, is there a name? Is there like in the free agent market or not even free agent market, but like a team? I could see them getting it. If the fit was better, somebody like Castellanos would make a lot of like that sounds like a Mariners type thing. I definitely think they're a team that's probably going to ask the Orioles what John Means would cost. Ooh, I I think Means would make a lot of sense for them. And I think they could get him for a relatively low price that wouldn't involve any of the combo of of Emerson Hancock, George Kirby, certainly obviously not Rodriguez or Noel V Marte, who is their other uh, big name prospect who's a little further behind. who's a little bit behind those guys, probably by about a year or so, but it certainly means isn't going to cost any of those guys, but I think they have enough good young arms in their system that they can make a package that would probably entice Baltimore. Baltimore of course could use, always could use pitching. Um, beyond that. I mean, again, Bryant would make sense. I don't know if they want to clog up, if they want to add someone like a Nick Castellanos to that DH outfield rotation. I mean, that's also someone who could you know provide some extra pop. 
I don't know if it doesn't really seem like that's that's their route. I do think that they would be more interested in getting someone who does offer that flexibility, which is why I think Bryant of the guys available who could truly make an impact would ultimately make the most sense for them because, and, and also for, he can also play first base too. You know, he can displace Ty France there or something like he, he gives them, he gives them coverage at two positions where they're kind of thin right now at first and third and some options that end the corner outfield as well, where they're also, he, he basically helps fill or provide a lot of depth, at three positions where they could use it. And he's a good impact right-handed power bat, which, you know, every, every team needs as many of those as they can get his hands on. So yeah, I, I think if he wants to make a splash, Bryant is right there, and I think that would make this team legitimate. I think more likely than not is that they probably go in with what they have and probably use whatever whatever we get at whatever trade deadline we get, probably see where they stand there and whether or not they want to make a push. What do you think ultimately happens though? Do you think they are a playoff team in twenty twenty two? I think so, in part because I think we get expanded playoffs this postseason regardless, but I think they're good enough regardless to make it as at least a wild card. But it's going to be tough, if only because, like we've noted, like the ALEs could conceivably produce four postseason teams. You know, The Astros are probably going to be good. The White Sox are certainly going to be good. I think it's probably too early to say whether, I mean, Detroit should be better, Cleveland at the very least. Is not as good as Seattle, I don't think, but also can kind of see itself in that kind of 500 space. There are going to be a lot of contenders in that kind of mid-80s to low-90s win space, I think, that certainly it's not something Seattle can just assume that a postseason spot is coming. But I think, I think it's certainly within reach, and I certainly think they have the talent to make it happen. I would just feel a lot better about those odds if they were to go out and do something like sign, say, Chris Bryant or Freddie Freeman or Carlos Rodon. Well, we shall see. We shall, we shall see, John Taylor. Um, good folks, go check out Fangraphs.com if you have not already done so. Fangraphs.com, go subscribe today. Become a member, support the staff. As uh, Fingers crossed that Major League Baseball gets its act together and we get uh, not a bunch more games canceled because I would like to read Fangraphs when games are happening uh, and not just the previews. Um, I want to see Connor Joe become a star on the diamond. On the diamond, John. I don't want to... Yeah, not just, not just, just on the diamond in your mind. Correct. That, that's a good rhyme. Um, is that a song? Diamond in your mind. No. Uh, we can find you on Twitter at J.A. Taylor. And uh, yeah, John Taylor next week. Houston Astros. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Houston Banging Astros. on that trash can. Banging on I know that, that trash can. I know, I know it's an old joke, but I'm, I'm just, it's still so funny to me that the cheating, the, the elaborate scheme that all the best brains and money in baseball could buy was hit the trash can with a bat. Also, I love that John Boy Mita was the one that like did the, the just the sign. Remember that's how yeah. we broke out. Like they just yeah, that was that was reading the rise lips and stuff. John yeah, Boy yeah. Media was was mm-hmm. the Astros trash can scandal. Isn't that wild? They're like, hey, how'd your company break through? Oh, a uh, professional baseball team cheated, and I caught yeah. them. We caught a professional baseball team whacking a trash can with a baseball <laughs> bat. And next thing you know, yada yada yada. We're uh we're the biggest baseball podcast network ever. Um, John Taylor, always a pleasure. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Two more coming at you in just one second, but uh, thank you to John Taylor of Fangraphs.com for coming on as he always does. Follow him on Twitter at JA Taylor. Go subscribe to Fangraphs.com if you have not already done so. Go support the good folks over there. 
Uh, also, if you like today's episode, we come uh, to you in uh, this podcast every week, uh, usually Tuesday nights, but this week we had to do Wednesday night. Uh, so yeah, look out for Major League Baseball with John Taylor and I'm myself at uh, the middle of every week. Um, but yeah, if you like listening to all things Major League Baseball on this podcast, please do make sure you subscribe, uh, like, uh, share, share out the show to any friend, family, coworker, whoever, who also might like the show, leave it a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Spotify or however you get your podcast. Email the show with any major league baseball questions at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, also follow me on Twitter at Chase Double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. As always, go visit the website, chasethomaspodcast.com. Access to all my previous episodes and everything you need to know about this very program. Uh, Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.